You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Michelle and Tony and we are doing our annual Iditarod coverage here on Mushing Radio. Check us out on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can find all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media. And right off the bat, I have to thank our brand new Patreon sponsors. Check us out if you're interested in getting exclusive access over on patreon.com slash firstpawmedia. We're going to put some shout outs over on our show notes page. So for Iditarod fans, this is when the race is on. All three of us happen to be down on Willow Lake today. Michelle and I rode over on our snow machine and enjoyed an absolutely beautiful day. And I understand that Tony was there as well, a little bit closer to the starting line than we were. You were down there taking pictures and carrying on. So I'm going to start with you, Tony. What was the vibe up where you were at at the restart? Well, with where we sit, we're right underneath like the VIP and media area. So there's a little more of the, not necessarily pomp and circumstance, but there's more of that type of vibe. But down below where we are, we're we're right at, for those that probably don't know how it's set up, they park the, the teams there in the parking lot of the Willow Community Center. And then they take them down. I think it's like the boat launch. It, it looks like that's what it is. I've actually never been there in the summertime. So, um, so it's a little, it, it's a gradu- gradual hill that they come down uh, once they say three, two, one, go. Um, and we're right there at the base of that. So we're on the lake, but barely, um, I think. At least that's what my dad says so that I'm not too terribly nervous about being on a frozen body of water. Um, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, it was, it was a great party. We had Salmonberry tours behind us with their VIP group. Um, who were just sitting there and asking questions. We're sitting, I had to my right, uh, a couple that came up from Washington. They followed the race for years, um, and this was their bucket list trip. And so I got to spend some time chatting with them. I also got to stand next to Kale Casey, who if you are a longtime Mushing fan, you know Kale very well, as he does a lot of live feeds for 
um, many of the mid-distance races as well as the official live feed for the Ferrandi races. Um, so it, it felt like what I'm used to. Last year felt it a little bit, but this year really did feel that family atmosphere that Danny Stevie wrote about several years ago where it doesn't matter that I don't actually know these people. Um, we're all here for the same reason, and that is to celebrate the sled dog. Um, and so for this little brief moment in time, uh, you're my people. We know each other. I don't need to know your story. I don't even need to know your name. I just know that you're here the same reason I'm here. Um, and so we have that kind of common bond. My dad was giving out cookies to everybody. Um, you know, we were letting kids come in and, and try to high five the teams, which they were on the other, they were running the other side of where we were standing. So no, ho no high fives in our area, but it was just a really nice time. I froze my feet, um, but other than that, it was a great time. It was a, a beautiful day. As I mentioned earlier, we took our snow machines over. We're exactly nine miles, trail miles from the community center and spent about 45 minutes or so working our way over there. And when we arrived, we headed a little bit further down than you, sort of mid-lake, if you will, and, and found a spot. We sat right on our snow machine seat and watched everybody run by. And we're going to talk about some of what we saw in just a few minutes. But my goodness, Tony and Michelle, you could not ask for a better early March day here in Alaska than you could today. Is that right, Michelle? Absolutely. You know, it started out kind of crispy in the morning, but we had decent sunny skies and it warmed up quite quickly. There was a light breeze on Willow Lake, which is standard, but um, it was enjoyable. And, you know, one of the things that I recall from time to time and depending on the year, Willow Lake can be quite slushy on warmer mm -hmm. years. So I was glad for the colder temps this morning. Yes. And I thought it was decent crowds. I've seen a heck of a lot more people there than this year. But as we were working our way up towards the community center and checking out all the food booths and stuff like that, there were plenty of people there. What do you think, Tony? Was it about the same as normal or less? What do you think? I didn't actually look behind me at all <laughs> um, once the, the team started coming down the chute. Um, I, it did feel a little less crowded, and that was kind of what I expected with only 33 teams leaving out, um, and you didn't have Martin Boozer, Dee John Rowe, Dallas Stevie, Mitch Stevie, Jeff King, you know, some of those names that we've known since, in my case, childhood. Um, I really was not surprised to see it be a little less busy, but I also noticed that people were standing in spots that I hadn't seen them do previously. There were a lot of snow berms up close to the, uh, the actual starting line, and people were climbing those. So I'm not sure if, you know, more people stayed up close to the community center to try and see the actions of the dogs jumping and barking and carrying on as they do as they wait to to have that snow hook uh, released and, and the mushers say, all right. Um, so I, I think for the smaller roster, it was a really good turnout. Um, I was really excited that there were so many people that were there for the first time. 
um, as well as some people that I recognize every year. And one of the cool things about the Iditarod restart is the the party atmosphere there along the lake, and that stretches out for miles on the first uh, leg of of the Iditarod Trail. And lots of people are tailgating, and they have their their camps, uh, what are they called, uh, fire pits, and all of that going. And there's marshmallows cooking and you could smell the hot dogs and hamburgers and they were passing out beers to to the mushers as they were going by but you're right tony it went by so quickly we were there just for a little over two and a half hours and that was quite a bit of standing around waiting for them to go but once they started you know every two minutes a team goes by and it was really quick and i love checking out of course, all the dogs as they run by. But my real uh, passion, at least at the restart, is to check out all the cool gear that the that the mushers had, their sleds and the, the different types of harnesses and gang lines and all of that hooked up. And I would like to talk a little bit about what we saw. I thought that um, a couple of really cool trailers were being pulled. One in particular was with Jason Mackey. He had sort of this little toboggan convertible type uh, dog trailer and he had a dog crate door on the back of it and an Alaskan license plate that said on by. I thought that that was really cool. (laughs) And then we saw some type, I believe it was Matt Failer had some type of dog crate box looking thing where you typically find their seat. So on the trail dragger portion of the sled, I thought that was really neat. Uh, it looked kind of small, but I guess if it, if you at first you thought it was a cooker, I so thought it was still a cooker. Could possibly be a cooker. Yep. So I thought that was pretty neat. And then uh, there was a a really old school wooden sled with Greg Vitello or Vitio, however you pronounce his last name. I enjoyed seeing that. And Michelle remarked that it was really interesting to see uh, the different packing techniques from a lot of the teams and who had the rookie bulge as they call it even some of the the veterans had really (laughs) heavy looking sleds where some of them i believe it was either matt hall or or um jesse holmes maybe that was traveling really light uh they they looked like they were just going out on on a sunday training trek uh you know just with hardly anything coming along but we did see a lot of trailers a lot of trail draggers tony do you know when they allowed those back in the race because i know that they were banned for for a little while those those uh tow behind trailers well the trailers themselves were never banned what is banned or what was banned was um the hauling of dogs behind the sled in a trailer now they have to have them up front. I do believe they walked that back a couple years ago. I'm not completely versed in this year's rule book yet. Um, so I'd have to go back and look um, when I get my computer back set up because I literally just got home a few minutes ago. Um, but the trailers themselves, they've always been allowed to haul stuff in the trailers. It's just the rule of where can the dogs be put. And the rule... Uh, a few years ago, some felt that it was just to keep to slow Dallas down, but I don't technically believe that. Um, but the dogs have to be in front of the musher. They can't be behind the musher. The musher has to be able 
to be behind the dogs so that I guess they can keep tabs on them. And so that's when you saw both Dallas and Mitch go from a trailer to that really sophisticated um, sled bag where they had like little compartments where they could put the dogs in almost like a dog box on their truck. Um, and so they were still able to haul dogs that way and still be able to fit everything else. And it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I found all of the gear very interesting for sure. Michelle, before we get into our trail report for tonight, do you have anything that you would like to mention about um, uh, the, the dog teams, the mushers as they were going by? What did you find most interesting? Uh, the light sleds. I found very interesting where there were three or four actually that looked like what we've been running all season empty. Yep. They 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 looked empty. They when they went by, they sounded empty. They the dogs were running faster. Um and and I don't know, maybe that's by design cuz as you mentioned, don't need a lot of gear between here and Squentna or wherever. Um but I mean, they just seem pretty light, you know. And then you'd see Ramy Smith he went by with a hefty pack. Mm-hmm. He did. He okay. did. And then you saw Matt Failer. He was he was loaded down, but he didn't have a rookie bulge, you know. And then you see Nick Petit. He seemed to be loaded down, but not a you know rookie bulge. But I mean, it was just very interesting to see who was who had straw visible, who didn't have straw visible. Does that necessarily mean they didn't have straw? You know, um, who had the trailers and who had the um, tail draggers draggers. and, you know, all of those different types of things. And you could definitely tell some mushers were dressed lighter than others. And I just found it interesting. Everybody has their system. And once they find a system that works for them, they stick to it like a diehard should. Um, So it'll be interesting what the rookies shed along the way. Yeah, and and very quickly, I would like to talk, at least from a musher's perspective, of what's required in the sled. I'm sure I'll miss something, but they have to have snowshoes, an axe, a cooker, a cold-weather sleeping bag, enough dog food for, I believe, 24 hours, if I'm not mistaken, dog booties, a tracker, a sled bag capable of holding a dog. Um, What am I missing, Tony? Anything? (laughs) I, I... I think those are the big things. They also have to have promotional materials, um, the trail mail that they they carry from different educators and that sort of thing. There's there's a lot of little things, but those are the big things you hit upon. Right. And Michelle had mentioned straw, and that really begs to strategy right off the top. We did see some of the teams uh, leaving uh, the start with a, a bale of straw, half bale of straw or whatever. Now, if a dog team is not expected to camp before a big checkpoint, whether that be Yetna Station or Squintna or even on to Finger Lake, uh, that's when they will determine if they're going to carry straw because all of those checkpoints along the trail will provide straw. So if a team had straw leaving the checkpoint, that would give an indication that they intended to camp on the trail versus at a checkpoint, which is what a lot of teams do anyway. But it's interesting to see straw leaving the restart compared to 
much later in the race when, of course, uh, things get a little bit more hectic. Before we go to the trail report, Tony, I did not ask you, do you have anything else you would like to mention about the teams as they left the shoot? Um, you know, it was, it was pretty, I mean, pretty quick. So it's kind of hard to even think about a lot of what I saw or didn't see, of course, taking pictures, you know, I'm not able to really spend a lot of time studying what I'm, what I'm actually taking pictures of. Um, but there was just this, like, I don't know, there was this kind of just relaxed feeling from most of the mushers. I felt that Ramey Smith kind of had maybe the least relaxed vibe as he went past us. Um, he was also going, like you guys said, a little bit slower than everybody else, which I, it was noticeable to me, just, uh, the difference in speed that Ramey had versus just about everybody else. Um, and then just speaking on the straw or the hay bales, um, Katie Jo Dieter, she had her hay bale and it was sitting behind her. It was attached to her, what they call an old man sled seat. It's just basically they've got a little seat on their, their sled so they can sit down. Um, but she had it attached, the, the straw bale to the, to the seat there. And then I did notice in one of the few times that I was able to actually get internet while we were driving home, um, I noticed that Jeff Dieter had posted on their kennel page that she planned to camp about six hours into the race. So that's not surprising. Um, overall, though, you know, it was just a really lighthearted atmosphere and, and fun for everybody. I did... I, I do have to, I'm going to give myself props or maybe confess something, but I'm a, I'm a Michigan fan, a uh, football fan. And I know that Matt Thaler is a diehard Ohio fan and we've actually had little um, banter back and forth on social media. And so when he uh, passed by, I screamed, go Ohio, and then immediately hated myself for saying it, but he laughed. So um, it, you know, it was just kind of, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the mushers were relaxed enough to be paying attention to the crowd, paying attention to the kids. I think Christy Barrington told kids, sorry, I can't make it over there to give you high fives. My sled's not over there. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's just one of those things that I think everyone's just happy to start out on the trail and the weather, like we said, was good for the dogs and good for the mushers. So everybody left happy. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I saw all smiles there, not only from the people, but it looked like uh, from the dogs as well, if dogs do smile. I did notice that a majority of the teams were on, I guess it would be the left side of the trail heading down from the chute. Uh, if you're running across the lake, it would be on that left side. And I'm interested to wonder why that was happening. I wonder if they sort of pulled away from the the parking lot, the staging area, if there was kind of a hard uh, pull to the left, because even even as far up as I could see, most of the teams were on that left side. Was that the same up where you were at, Tony? Yeah, and that typically happens, and I'm not sure if it's just because they do they do seem centered on the starting line, but it's not a straight shoot from the the line to the hill and. So they kind of take it wide, but those lead dogs, the second they hit the hill, they go towards that one side. And I'm not sure if it's just how all the lead dogs are 
feeling secure. I, I really don't know. It'd be interesting if dogs could talk, they could probably explain it. But it's definitely not like a musher telling them to go over that way. It's just how the lead dogs go. And then as we know, in these these starting shoot situations, the rut just happens. And so then everybody follows that trail. Exactly. So let's talk about where folks are at on the trail, because we already have a race developing, even though we're less than 70 miles or so into the race. Right now, as we're recording this at about 9.45, I know it's very late, guys. Uh, we have Ryan Reddington is already into Squintna. Brent Sass is, is um, on his way. Most of these folks are on their way to Squintna. So Brent Sass, Dan Caduce, Bailey Vitello, Jesse Holmes, Hunter Keefe, Millie, Richie, Eddie, and Christy are the top 10 right now. And of course, top 10 doesn't mean a whole lot of anything just uh, a few hours into the race. What I really like paying attention to is the speed. Uh, everybody is traveling right around that 10 mile an hour, except for Brent. He is blazing down the trail at 12 miles an hour. And then uh, bringing up the rear, it's interesting that Wade Mars spent about two hours at Yetna. Not a lot of teams spend any time in Yetna anymore, but it looks like he took a decent break there. Then we have Christian Turner above him, Jed Stevenson, Aaron Peck, Michael Williams, and the other Vitello. I have to figure out how to say their name. Maybe you know Tony. Yeah. Greg, that is the dad of the group. Do you know how to say their name? I've been saying Vitello. I don't know if that's actually accurate. I'm hoping to be able to watch some of the insider videos and uh, see if they either say their name for the camera or if we know what the media is just basically going with. So we will get that in the coming days because I would imagine we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the dad and son duo out there on the trail. I think that's a really interesting story as we see develop uh, Michelle, do you have anything else before we jump into our musher profile of the day? Well, you know, Wade was one of those light in the load guys. And I'm wondering if he had some stuff at Yetna he needed to pack up. Could have been, could have been for sure. Uh, and of course that is a, a very welcoming checkpoint. Unfortunately, the, uh, patriarch of that checkpoint passed away i guess it was uh, about two years ago now dan uh gabberzak he was he was the he was the man there at yetna for for many years and he would often uh, sit there at uh, yetna station and play guitar and they would make up a big fancy spaghetti dinner for everybody i've been there so many times and that family is so welcoming no matter what time you get into that checkpoint whether you pull in at 4 a.m or 10 a.m. They are always so welcoming there. It doesn't matter what time of the mushing season it is, whether you are right around Christmas time or in late March, for sure. So definitely a cool checkpoint. And it's my understanding, Tony, maybe you can speak on this as I pull up the information on our musher profile, but didn't the checkpoint there at Squintna just recently burn down just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, the lodge, I think it's, been three weeks now the lodge that they normally use as kind of the staging area for the checkpoint it burned down burned to the ground there is a gofundme um available the family is 
leaning towards rebuilding. It's a, it was a very old building and it was a log building. So once they get old and brittle and, and dry, it's, it's every um, cabin owner's fear that, that it's just going to take one little thing. I think they believe that the fire started through the wood stove pipes. Um, so a, a loss of history for sure. Um, but there's still a lot of infrastructure there that the race can go on with pretty much, you know, being able to do things as normal. Um, but that, that little bit of legacy is gone. And, and for me, I'm, I'm kind of into the history and the nostalgia of everything. So it was very, very sad to read about. Yeah, you know, that's our biggest fear at our place as well. We live in a, a log home that was built in in the late 60s. And I tell you what, I, I go to bed every night thinking about those wood stove fires and how we could have possibly escape if something happened. So, so it is definitely a fear for a lot of people in Alaska, that's for sure. So tonight we are talking about Kelly Maxner, I believe is how you say his mm-hmm. name. Uh, Michelle, will you do us a favor and read through his bio uh, quickly? Sure. Kelly Maxner is a native of North Dakota. He's lived in Big Lake, Alaska since 2009. He started mushing dogs in 2008 during his pediatric dental residency. He loves going on adventures with his tolerant wife and five perfect children. Kelly's hobbies include fishing, hunting, shrimping, and building the perfect backyard Zamboni. He owns We Care Pediatric Dentistry in Wasilla. And Tony, I know you have a story or two about Kelly, but uh, this guy is is a, a guy from my own heart. He obviously loves <laughs> hockey. He's from North Dakota, and he has... The perfect bio. He is saying that his wife is tolerant and his kids are perfect. And I understand that he is a pure nerd. He passes out <laughs> toothbrushes at at the restart. Where was he passing those out? You were telling us about this last night. Uh, he actually takes uh, a bunch of toothbrushes into each checkpoint. That's it. And gives them to the locals there. So... Um, yeah, he's that guy that we all didn't really want to go to their house during uh, trick-or-treating as kids because, you know, he's given out toothbrushes instead of candy. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I think it's a really great opportunity. That's one of his passions. He does also go out into the villages to provide pediatric dental care. Um, so it's just definitely something that's near and dear to his heart. Um, he's very passionate about it. And so I, I think that's a really awesome thing that he does. Um, as far as Kelly goes, he had his own kennel. It was called Mad Stork Kennel. Um, I think then life kind of took over, you know, just like we saw with Dallas, uh, CV and Aaron Burmeister this year, not running because family obligations but Kelly's been back a couple of times uh, and he's leasing a team this year with Dallas CV so he's got a few of Dallas's veteran dogs from his last Iditarod as well as some young ones Um, and he you know he's he's kind of a dark horse we don't know what to expect a lot of leased teams don't uh, run in the make it to the top 10, but Kelly is a top 10 finisher with his own dog. So he's perfectly capable of doing that. 
Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting uh, little thing to to keep an eye on. I, I don't know what to expect exactly from Kelly, and I got I got a lot of feedback when I did my top ten for my blog, where people were like, "Well, what about Kelly?" and and my biggest thing is, you know, he did do some training with these dogs, but mostly that happened with Dallas and Dallas's crew, as you would expect since they're from Dallas's kennel. Um, and so there's not quite the same strength of the bond that you would have with someone who's running these dogs regularly. Kelly would go up, of course, on his days off, his weekends. But the little things that you're watching for with uh, the dogs, you know, just a, a just a hair difference in how they're moving or acting or how you can tell what they're feeling you may not get that when you don't have that everyday grind of training with the dogs. So it'll be really interesting to see what Kelly does with Dallas's dogs in the next week and a half. So Kelly ran his first Iditarod in 2011, came in 30th place, 2012, 32nd place, 2013, 31st place. It looks like he scratched in 2014. 2015 in 13th place, 16 21st place, and then two 17th place finishes in 2018 and 2020. His best finish was in nine days, 15 hours, 39 minutes in 2015. That's pretty impressive. Actually, uh, he did a better time than that. If you look, Robert, at 2016, he finished in <laughs> nine days, eight hours. Yep. 38 minutes, 18 so seconds. That is very impressive, considering that's a 21st mm-hmm. place finish there at nine days, eight hours. That's really keeping up with the Joneses, isn't it, Tony? Yeah, that was a fast race. I think that was one of the times that the uh, champion also broke records and then got his record broken that was also a that was also (laughs) a very heavy field that year in 2016 yep so total prize money for kelly is sixty five thousand five hundred and forty six dollars of course that's nothing to sneeze at but with your own kennel that's going to be eaten up literally in just a matter of months uh with a very uh hearty appetited sled dog kennel but now that he has um uh, at least a team from Dallas. It'll be very interesting to see how things pan out over the next couple of weeks. And it looks like he is working his way towards Squintna as we speak tonight. So that is Kelly Maxiner. And remember, we will do this every night here on Mushing Radio. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And we never tell you who we are going to talk about on the show previous. So let's talk about our I did a question time. I I did a question time. So last (laughs) night's question, uh, Tony posted about where are you tuning in from? And you got a heck of a lot of responses to that as well. Where are folks tuning in? Can you remember? I know that you are running on fumes right now after a very long (laughs) weekend and travel day back to your home on Kenai. But people were listening all over the world. And what I found very interesting is so many of them said that they're listening to our podcast. And I think that that is cool. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, they're all over the world. We have our Croatian listener, um, and they did message me, and they're like, you know that it's me, right? They are one of Blair Braverman's hashtag ugly dogs. Um, and I was like, well, I kind of guessed, but I didn't want to assume because we all know what happens when we assume. Um, we've got listeners from New Zealand. We've got listeners from our own backyards of the Kenai Peninsula and, of course, the Matsu Valley and all points in between. Um, a lot of people from all over the U.S. and Canada, just a lot of just a lot of everywhere. Um, it was really kind of cool to see everything. I've got, you know, people saying that they're excited to root for their hometown people. Um, I've got, of course, our friend Patty uh, chimed in and uh, said that she's even, you know, because I also asked how they're following the race. And like you said, they, uh, they're following our podcast. Patty said she's even going uh, and following on Twitter, even though she says, although I am reluctantly going on Twitter because Elon Musk has been such a jerk. And I thought that was funny. So I'm going to give her a shout out there. Um, but yeah, it, it was just so cool. And they're still coming in. And please don't feel, guys, like once our question of the day is over that you can't still share because I'm loving finding out about everybody and where people are hearing about the Iditarod, where they're hearing about our podcast. Um, just a lot of fun, so fun to read everything that's been going. I've got South Jersey. I've got people that were like, well, I started listening and following when I was in Texas. Now I'm on the East Coast, that sort of thing. Um, we've had some Londoners chime in, so everywhere. Uh, and that's, that just proves that, you know, mushing is a global sport. Uh, it's a global fandom, and it's very exciting. And, and I have one that I actually, I think I could read here. Um, this is Kathy uh, Schumann. She's from North Carolina. She says, I have an insider subscription, and I follow everyone's Facebook pages and, of course, uh, the Iditarod Live Chat Friends group. I've been following the Iditarod since the first race, first with Wide World of Sports and reading newspaper accounts in college libraries, to the early days of the internet, AOL chat rooms, mostly from Australia, to the days of the gnome cam and the Kaiser cam, McGrath weather cam, then lurking on the arch, no sound, and now with the great insider coverage and Facebook lives from the checkpoints. I, I love it. And I have a little bit of a confession to make. Uh, we also got a message from Iva or Ava, our friend from Croatia, and she she said, I thank you for the shout out. Now, I am going to say something here that uh, that we did this afternoon, Tony. After we got back from Iditarod, we saw this message from our listener in Croatia, and she says, if you ever get a chance to come over to Croatia, please look me up. So guess what we did, Tony? Uh, Michelle and I spent the afternoon checking out cruises that go to Croatia, and we nice. are we are happy to announce that in October of 2024, we are going on a cruise, our first cruise, by the way, from Rome wow. to Greece to Croatia. 
Now, we do, we're doing this not necessarily for Iva or Ava, however you pronounce that. I'm sure it's different over in Europe than it is here in the it States. It could even be Eva. It could be Eva. Michelle had said, I've always wanted to go scuba diving in Croatia. So we are headed to Croatia in October of 2024, and we just might have to take up our friend on a visit and maybe sit down and have dinner for for uh, with her. So it'd be interesting. What do you think, Michelle? I'm looking forward to Croatia, aren't you? I think that we move quickly. We move quickly, yes. We move quickly. <laughs> and, and I know Tony will say, my goodness, you guys do a lot of traveling, but uh, when you have... Uh, the ability to to do your business on the fly, I guess you're able to do a little bit of traveling. And somehow or another, we'll make this a business trip. Whether we're meeting up with uh, fans of the podcast <laughs> or whatever, we'll make it a business trip so we can at least write off a little bit of it. So that is our connection to our worldwide audience. I really appreciate that. All we that. need is to photograph a few uh, artifact paintings of dogs and we're in. Yep. And, and you, know, you know why this is important, Tony, is a lot of people have reached, reached out to me over the years. And when you've been doing this podcast for 14 years or so, I don't know how many people we've had a chance to meet in person uh, around the country. We've never met them internationally, but I love meeting up with folks and getting to know them personally and putting names to faces and when we when you and I met up at uh, at the Millennium just mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, the Lakefront Millennium, I always call it the Millennium. Yeah. When we met up at the Lakefront, <laughs> so many people came up to to you in particular and a few to me and said, "Hey, we follow you guys on social media. We listen to your podcast, whatever they do." And it's my understanding that one of our big fans met up with you right after I left. After I left a very recent Patreon supporter. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wendy. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this while she's driving because the last time we said her name, she said she almost drove off the road. Um, Wendy came up and we actually spent a good deal talking uh, once she came up and said hello. She actually got to hear a lot of stories from my dad and she was very gracious in that. So. Um, I enjoyed learning about her and how she got involved with Iditarod. And she's actually, I think, headed out. So she shouldn't be driving. I think she's headed out. Uh, I think she said she's going to be volunteering at the checkpoint of Nikolai. So that's very exciting. She's been to Iditarod a couple of times. And uh, it was it was just so much fun to talk to her. And uh, she, even ha- she even talked me into getting a, a picture with her. So... Um, if anybody knows me, they know I like to be behind the camera. That's why I became a photographer, so I could be behind the camera and not in front of the camera. For sure. And one last little uh, fan moment, if you will. I remember one time Michelle and I, and I believe the kids, were up at Independence Mine here in Alaska. And we were just minding our own business, talking amongst ourselves. And somebody walked up to us and said, Hey, are you Robert from Mushing Radio? I said, yeah. He goes, I recognized you. And I said, hmm, how can, <laughs> how can you recognize me on a podcast? He goes, I heard your voice. And I thought, whoa, that's pretty dang cool. Somebody in the middle of nowhere in Alaska recognized us from our podcast. So I think that that's pretty cool. So guys, 
if you would like to meet up with us in our travels or Tony, I know she does some traveling as well. She is a huge, <laughs> huge figure skating and Disney fan. So she makes it down to those places at least once a year, I guess. Look us up and maybe we can uh, buy you a coffee, a beer, dinner, whatever. We would love to meet up with you. So the way we're going to end this show every night is we are going to leave. And I did a question. And this question sort of was already answered on yesterday's question, but we're going to just expand it just a little bit. One of our listeners asks, what is your strategy for following the Iditarod? I know, Tony, you asked where they listen, and a lot of people said, I listen to the podcast or the Insider or whatever, but how do you listen? How do you structure your day to fit your Iditarod obsession in during these couple of weeks? Are you listening at work with headphones? Are you listening to podcasts as you drive in? Are you sneaking your iPhone into a family dinner to put it underneath the table on your lap to watch Insider as you munch on ramen or whatever you are doing? Michelle, what do you want to add to how the strategy works out? Well, the word strategy just brought me right to, you know, those football grids that people put together. The fantasy fantasy mushing, they have it going on. Yeah, I'm just wondering how many of our listeners strategize that way. Tony, you can speak on this. You're part of this uh, fantasy oh craze, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I just basically pick seven mushers within the, the price range or the value range that they allow me to. I, I have no rhyme or reason, but there are people that literally have spreadsheets of times, speeds, placements, dogs, everything that they can get their hands on stats-wise for all of these races dur during the year. And then when it gets to it there, I did a rod fantasy team. They go all in with their spreadsheets, and they try to come up with a magic team. And that just blows my mind because I'm just like, I just like the dogs, and I'm just <laughs> going to click these people because I either know them or I promise these people I won't pick them because I'll jinx them so I won't do that shout out to Dallas TV for that um <laughs> and uh yeah so it it's so fun and so yeah and uh strategy for following the race there are people that have these incredible setups on how they watch they've got insider on their big screen while they've got the gps on one computer monitor and they've got like i did a pod or mushing radio on another and and i don't know how they keep it all straight i mean i do the same thing don't tell my boss that's why i wanted the second monitor in my office <laughs> but it, i i just it it's incredible some of that so i'm really looking forward to seeing the responses that we get and and i would love to hear these 24-hour guys and gals i know our buddy alex is a 24-hour guy i will see tweets coming in <laughs> from him in the middle of the night when i wake up in the morning it does not look like he has slept so it'll be interesting to hear well, that he just got back from iceland. iceland so the question is what is your strategy for following iditarod over the next couple of weeks let us know on social media, hashtag I did a question, hashtag ugly dogs, or whatever hashtags Tony can come up with. She will post that here later tonight before she heads to bed. I know it's late where you're at, and we're going to be really late in getting this episode up. And we will take your questions over the next 24 hours before we're back on the air tomorrow night 
to talk about the second, or actually the first full day on the trail. And it's going to see how folks are beginning to develop and, uh, you know, where strategies are starting to come into play. We will have a few mushers that are well into Finger Lake, possibly over the steps by the time we're on. It really is wide open at this point. So, Michelle, we'll put you first here. Do you have anything that you want to mention that we missed or before we go? No, I think that this was a great opener because now it's official. It is official. We're rocking and rolling for sure. The title of this episode is called The Race is On. Tony, anything we missed or you want to mention before we go? No, I think we've covered it. I'm, uh, I'm excited to follow the race for the next nine days. As well. So on behalf of my co-hosts, Tony and Michelle, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.